0: Good morning, thanks for joining us for episode 14 of That's a Good Question, airing on September 6th, 2020. I'm Larry Castle, this is Ken Brown. Thanks for joining us today. Hey Pastor Ken, today we are looking at another frequently asked question about the Bible and the Christian life. In the last two weeks, we took some time. We talked about whether or not miracles are uh, happening today and what the Bible says about that. And today we want to consider another question that many people have probably asked. Um, I know many people over the years have asked it working in youth ministry. I've uh, helped young people grapple with this question, and that is, how can I know God's will for my life? So let's start off perhaps with you framing the question for us a bit. Give us some background about why God's will would seemingly be so elusive to us.
1: Well, you know, it may seem obvious at first, but I think it's going to become clear as we proceed that underlying this question of how can I know uh, the will of God for my life is an assumption that many people make that the will of God is known in some unusual way, that we determine God's will for us in a way that's different from how we determine the answer to other more mundane things in our lives.
0: Okay, so uh, can you help help us understand what you mean by that, maybe by providing some examples? Well, somebody's going
1: on a trip, for example, to Florida, let's say. They don't fret they don't spend weeks they don't spend years agonizing over the question how can i know the way to sarasota right they simply go to the map or at least that's what we did back in the day or now today they go to their (laughs) gps or if somebody has a leaky pipe or has a leaky faucet at home they don't spend extended time contemplating you know how can i know how to get this taken care of Rather, in the past, you'd just perhaps get a paper manual and you'd read it. Or today, you look up a YouTube tutorial. Better yet, in my case, you just call a plumber.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the YouTube tutorial uh, struck a chord with me. I did a whole bathroom <laughs> remodel using YouTube. And don't we wish it was just as easy to say, uh, hey, Siri, I probably made everybody's phones go off just now, but hey, Siri, what is God's will for my life? <laughs> so... That, that's all true. My phone might have kicked the camera off, trying to answer that question for me. But that, that's true. You know it's easy to understand that with the mundane things, you know it's not life or death, whether I can get to Sarasota uh, unless it's January and you're in Michigan. But uh, here we are. we're talking about God's will for our lives. And you know if I want to do something that's more than the mundane, something big, like I want to learn how to be an engineer or I want to become a nurse or some other profession, I do take years to figure it out. So why wouldn't this be like a huge question like that when I'm asking the question, how can I know God's will for my life?
1: Yeah, now that's that's a good point. We do in fact often have to put in a lot of time and effort for more important issues. But that doesn't mean it takes a lot of time to know where to go to pursue the answers for those important things. It may take a a long time to get where you wanna go, true enough, and you have to put a lot of time and effort. It doesn't mean that it takes a lot of time to know where to go to begin getting those answers. Now, if I go to the map or GPS to get to Sarasota, that doesn't take much time, but it's also not that important. Knowing that I can go to a manual or a YouTube video or make a phone call to a plumber doesn't take much time to decide that but getting that leak fixed is probably not a a crucial issue. But let's say you have a really serious issue. It still does not necessarily require a full-on investigation in order to figure out where to go. Now, for example, our young adult daughter, Annie, injured her neck and her knee this past week, as some of you know, in a bike accident, and it left her unconscious. Now, those who were there to witness that, Actually, have testified, some of them thought she was dead at, at first. Not many matters can be more serious than that. We'd all agree. And yet they knew exactly what to do and where to go. They had to go to their phone and they had to dial 911. Or take, for example, if a loved one dies, few things are more important than that. And yet you don't agonize over where to turn. You call a funeral home and you make the arrangements. If you want to pursue engineering or, or nursing as a as a career, the process to get there is gonna be time consuming, but knowing that you need to go to school takes no time at all. You know that you have to do that. So you can know very quickly where to go on these decisions, but then it may take longer in some cases, in a lot of cases, in order to figure out exactly now what to do and uh, put all the time and effort into it. But knowing where to go, for most of our decisions, we know where to go. And these are a number of examples of that.
0: Okay, that, that makes good sense. So then as we turn our attention to the matter of God's will, so just for the record, everybody at home, I think I know the answer to this but uh, let's make it official, Pastor Ken. So where do we go to find God's will then? Let's talk about that.
1: Well, the answer, of course, is one that, you know, should be obvious, as you uh, imply. But for reasons that we're gonna discuss in a little bit, unfortunately, when it comes to this issue of knowing God's will, for many Christian people, it is not. The the map, the GPS, the YouTube video, dialing 911, going to school, uh, All of those things that we should look at, turn to, call on, immerse ourselves in, uh, of all of those, the one that should be most obvious to us about every decision we're to make is that we need to immerse ourselves uh, in the GPS YouTube video uh, 911 that God has provided for us. And that is in his word, the Bible. You know that that's our go-to place because we believe in something called the sufficiency of scripture, that scripture is sufficient for life, all of life and godliness. And we get that from passages like the most famous passage in the Bible about the Bible, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. And here's what it says. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. But here's the purpose clause. It's useful for those four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, so that, here's why all of those things are given in the Bible, so that for the purpose hmm. that, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every, every, notice, good work. So God has not left His children to grope in darkness, or to feel hmm. our way through life, trying to discover whether what we're doing is what He wants. He has told us what He wants, in the book that he's given to us. So that should be our first go-to place on all of our decisions.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's easy to understand. But, you know, I, as I said, teaching this to teenagers for quite a long (laughs) while, uh, the ones whose brains are in gear, they're hearing me, they're (laughs) tracking with me, and then they're immediately going, yeah, but... You know, the Bible doesn't say how much time I'm allowed to spend on a smartphone. So, you know, it doesn't tell us specifically what to do in every situation. It doesn't tell you what school to go to. It doesn't tell you who you should marry, what job you should take. So we can kind of understand why people might conclude there's something more to this process, right?
1: It's true. You know, the Bible does not say specifically uh, what we should do in all those instances that you, you talked about. And because it does not, then hear this, everybody, please hear this. Because God does not tell us those specifics, it means you don't have to know all of those in order to be in God's will. If you Hmm. needed to know all of those specifics, you can be sure God would have provided those. So therefore, it is possible to be in God's will, to know that you are in God's will, apart from knowing those specifics. Hmm. God God in his wisdom has not provided the details in Scripture, but instead he's given us a framework. He's given us a a lens through which to see all of life so that we can make decisions on those details in a way that's pleasing to him. In Mm -hmm. other words, God does not tell me precisely what I'm going to do in every situation. But he does tell me what it is that I'm to consider so that I choose wisely. He doesn't tell Hmm. me what school to attend, but he does tell me that I need to prepare for whatever I do. Hmm. He doesn't tell me who to marry, but he does tell me what kind of person to marry, and he does tell me what marriage is for. He doesn't tell me what job to take, but he does tell me that work is his design. He tells us why it is that we work and how we can be a Christ-honoring employee in our work.
0: So it's kind of like God realizes that we're not omniscient and he's built a system that can work for non-omniscient people. (laughs) So it sounds like you're saying the Bible works for us to know God's will, but it works differently than we want it to work, right?
1: Yeah, it works differently than people think it works. I think people have a misunderstanding and then once they understand it, sometimes it's not the way they they want it to work. Mm -hmm. So too many Christians do not in fact practically believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. On paper, you hear a pastor say that, perhaps when you heard me say it just a bit ago. uh, Our viewers, you're nodding in agreement. Yes, the Scriptures are sufficient. We all say we believe that, but when it comes to following Scripture in our day-to-day lives, we don't really think it's relevant uh, to all that's happening. We don't think it speaks to our issues in a meaningful way. But then even for those who know that it does speak to every issue of life, they want, they wish that it spoke differently. They want a sign from God that says, this is the one. Here it is, this is the school, this is the spouse, your future spouse, this is the job that I want you, you to take. But that's not the way a, our all-wise God has chosen to reveal, give us what we need in order to make, Decisions that are honoring to him. A name that some of our viewers, certainly Pastor Larry, is very familiar with this name Cornelius Van Til, a, a famous theologian that's now with the Lord and also uh, a, an author and apologetics professor. Uh, but he said this He said, we, When we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, we do not mean that it speaks, I'm quoting now, we do not mean that it speaks of football games or atoms, etc., directly. But we do mean that it speaks of everything, either directly or indirectly. It tells us not only of the Christ and his work, but it also tells us who God is and from where the universe has come. It gives us a philosophy of history as well as history. Hmm. And moreover, the information on these subjects is woven into an inextricable whole. What he's saying there is, as you become familiar with the Bible, you become familiar with God. And you become familiar with God's story and you become familiar with God's plan and what he is like. And now you can begin to fit yourself into that and your circumstances into that. And then, yes, your choices into that as well.
0: Hmm. So what you're saying, you, I mean, you basically said you get to know the Bible and thereby you're getting to know God. Mm-hmm. You're getting to know what he's like. You're getting yeah. to know what he likes, and so now, as you make decisions, you try to make decisions that comport with that, right? Yeah,
1: that's that's exactly it. Right.
0: So, so what is the what is the barrier? What's the obstacle then? Hmm. Why don't Christians just read the Bible, become saturated, let it be the framework that they look at life through, and then just reflect their choices in that, or reflect that in their choices rather?
1: That'd be great if that was the way it happened. That's the way it should happen for all of us. But honestly, Larry, the answer is for too many Christians, that's just not enough. The Bible is, in fact, in the minds of too many Christian people, insufficient for their decisions. Or at least they have come to think so. So they think they have to seek God's will. They have to find God's will, as if God's will is hidden somehow. And you mentioned all the years that you've spent with young people and why you've been asked questions related to finding God's will so much, because many a young person, as they're trying to chart out their life and they're trying to make life altering decisions, they've been plagued by uncertainty sometimes for years because they're searching for this supposed elusive will of God. And I can give you an example of that Uh, in my own family, my, my wife, I got her permission to, to share her testimony as a young adult who indeed agonized over finding God's will for her life for a number of years. Uh, does God want me to go to college? And if so, what college? Does God want me to marry? And if so, who does God want me to marry? Now, one can certainly question her judgment on the marriage issue, but she was <laughs> helped immensely. She was helped immensely by a very small book that in God's providence, she got her hands on, and it just helped her tremendously. It was a book by John MacArthur that he wrote decades ago. That book is only 80 very small pages, but the gist of it is that God's will is in fact not hidden. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you need to seek. It's not something you need to find. It's right here in the open. It's right in God's word. And that book is titled appropriately, Found, colon, God's will, found. God's will, and I, I highly recommend that to our viewers.
0: Hmm. That, uh, you know, I don't, think, I don't think I have that book, and I know I haven't read mm. that. It's great. Um, it's in the Resource Center. I'll check a, it out. At our
1: Ministry Center, yeah. <laughs> Put
0: that in my parents and teens uh, reading list. Yeah. Uh, so, so how do we help people break out of this uh, bind in the way they're thinking then about how to find God's will?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it is. That's a good word you use, a bind. And also it becomes, uh, as in the illustration of my wife, for those few years in her early adult life, it was a bind and it was a burden as well. And it's been a burden for a lot of people for many years of of their lives. And then many people afterwards wonder whether they got it right back when Mm -hmm. they were making those decisions. And they're burdened by that as well. So my answer is, it may sound strange, I'll explain it, but first we've got to lose the idea of the dot. The dot oh, yeah. now. Yes. You you've heard of that, right? Oh yeah, uh, totally. You gotta find the dot right in the center of God's will. You've heard that phrase a lot of times. Be right in the center of God's will.
0: We we had uh youth group debates in the van on the way to trips and camps about <laughs> what happens if you marry the wrong person. Okay you missed your dot. You missed, missed the it. dot. Now what? Yeah.
1: But think, and if you think about that, and I'm sure you covered this when you guys discussed that. But if I married the wrong person, there's a whole chain reaction. Oh, that.
0: you ruined the because, rest of history.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because nobody can get it right because you yeah. made the wrong choice. That's a lot of pressure, man. That's a lot of pressure.
0: So yeah, what no, do we mean? I, we say that. As the I'm dot. sure you'll go into it, it doesn't mean that there's not a. You, it's not possible to make wrong decisions. You can still make wrong decisions. Right. But of
1: course. Yeah. 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 But what is the dot? The dot is this pinpointed, unique, only one choice that is the will of God for me. And we we need to lose the idea that it's the dot that we're searching for. Because the truth is sometimes choices are truly equal and you can choose then if they are truly equal, you've weighed them, you've thought about them, you've used the mind that God has given you to do that. And then if they are equal, you can choose either one you want. As you're thinking about what school to go to, you know, and you've narrowed it down to two schools and each of them has the program and you can afford the finances for both and you've taken into consideration the location and other issues, well, then you can choose either one. Uh, Or even spouses, potential spouses. If they both fit the biblical criteria of being a Christian man or woman, and they evidence a desire to honor the lord with their lives then if you have two people who are potentials for you to to pursue then pick the one you like you like best two jobs uh you know you have two jobs and if the income is sufficient for what what you need and if the time you have to put into that job is such that you can pursue uh, the other important things in your life your family your ministry in your in your church, the location is good. You might have more than one option. Pick uh, either either of them, so you don't have to concern yourself with there's just this one, and I've got to find just this just this one. You may have two, you may have more. They are equal, and you can, in God's will, choose any of the above.
0: Yeah, that's that's uh, the dot terminology isn't something we used in those discussions but we would talk about finding God's perfect will you know and so someone might hear us as objecting to this idea and uh, and think what don't we want God's perfect will
1: okay and and if we're familiar with our bibles we know that that's a phrase that's used in the bible God's God's perfect will it's it's something that comes from Romans 12:1 I'll get to that in a in a minute so uh We definitely do want God's perfect will, but God's perfect will is not a hidden thing that we need to seek and we need to find. The passage that is normally used uh, for that because it contains that term is Romans 12.1. And in the King James Bible, here's what it says. "'Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god now here's where it starts to go south is that many have taken then that last phrase that you may prove what is that good acceptable and perfect will of god they've taken that to be three different wills plural of Mm -hmm. god that there's a good there's an acceptable and there's a perfect now just stop for a moment think about that think about you know choosing a spouse And there's the, right? My, my so wife the, definitely the,
0: went with acceptable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were acceptable. I'm sure I'm way back on good. <laughs> so, so there's good, good enough. and there's acceptable, and then there's, and then there's perfect, right? And that's what people think. You know, look, okay, there are things that are, that are good, but you don't want good. You want better than that. And you don't want just mm. acceptable. You want God's perfect will. And so mm. where it's gone south, is when people think of this as three different wills. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, it's one will, and those three are descriptions of that will. The NIV says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's not three wills, one will, and that one will is good. And that one will is pleasing. And that one will is complete, perfect. And so we can lose the dot idea if we apply and understand a passage like Romans 12.1 correctly, that God doesn't have three wills. He has one will, and it has these three characteristics to it.
0: Hmm, That's good. So, I mean, it, it can be... So, if you've got that wrong view of that, there can be some real dangers that you face. You know, if you don't think that the Bible, if you don't recognize that the Bible, the wisdom found in it, is sufficient to guide us into making God honoring decisions, what are some of the dangers people face?
1: Well, now you've got to add something. You've got to add something to the Bible. Mm-hmm. The Bible is not sufficient. So, the Bible doesn't give me what I need or what I want, which is give me the dot, tell me exactly. Mm-hmm. The Bible's not written that way. And if that's what you're convinced is supposed to happen, or you're convinced that you absolutely need, then you're going to have to add something to it. It might be an inner voice. So not mm-hmm. only do I need the Bible, but now I need an inner voice that says there, that one. You know, as you're, as you're shopping for a school or you're looking for a spouse, and somehow you have the inner voice that says that one. Sometimes that to use, it's, it's extra biblical, uh, application, but it'll use biblical language, like, I felt led. Uh, so that's how I knew it was it was God's will, and that I felt led is a phrase used in the Bible, mm. or, or mm. being led, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Or it may be that you say, I've prayed about it, and I quote, I had a peace about it. So I had a peace about it, and it was then that extra biblical peace uh, that I now have, this subjective piece that tells me this is the the will of god or you may have put a fleece out before the Hmm. lord a fleece of some type and some of you may you know know what that is you know it goes back to a story in the first part of the bible and the, the idea is that you uh you you tell god that if if you want me to do this then have a certain thing happen if you want me to do that have a different thing happen and then you put sort of the test before the Lord and see how he responds in order to communicate which one he wants you to do. Now, all of these are additions to Scripture they, that, that are to guide us. And if these are necessary, if it's necessary for me to know what God wants me to do, in order that I have a peace about it or that I feel loud about it or that I put a fleece out before the Lord, then, in fact, Scripture is not sufficient to give me god's will
0: yeah so that that uh understanding of the fleece thing too is a real uh miss of the point of that story because that, that was not a good thing that he kept wanting to put that fleece out right that's <laughs> he correct he wasn't taking yeah. god at his word so yeah, you know right. related to this a brother and i from a brother from cbc and i this this afternoon were just texting about a, a story he read and online and asked me what I thought about it and had some of this language in there being led and God telling me something mm. and uh, mm. that raised a red flag in his mind and he was asking about it so yeah that's, good That's right. good. We so, got some people the, catching on yeah
1: that's that's right that's
0: right <laughs> that's good but uh, so the Bible does though talk about you said right. things right. like being led or having peace um, or like we said in you know putting out the fleece we kind of address that but what is it talking about yeah. when it says these things
1: yeah so romans 12 two, the be not conformed to this world be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove and attest what god's perfect will is is his good pleasing perfect will that romans 12 2 is not the only verse that is misunderstood and misapplied when it comes to god's will yes the bible does speak of being led by the holy spirit but if you look at the passage where it says that it's romans chapter 8 it's not a context of making decisions, decision-making. Rather, in Romans 8, it's in the context of living in obedience to God's moral commands. Uh, The passage is contrasting living by our sin nature, the flesh, and living according to the spirit and obeying his commands. Here's what it says, Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So one of the ways you demonstrate that you're truly a child of God is that you live according to the dictates of God. You live according to God's commands. You don't live according to the the sin nature. And yes, the Bible does also speak of the peace of God, but again, it's not in the context of making decisions. In Philippians chapter four, The Bible says that the person who rejoices in the Lord always, whatever their circumstances, good or bad circumstances, and doesn't worry about anything, but instead gives their cares to the Lord, that person is going to have, quote, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. The whole passage says this, Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's the context of it, it's not about decision-making. And if you make the right decision, or when you come to the right decision, you'll have this subjective sort of feeling that confirms it. And then as we talked about this fleece idea, uh, indeed, uh, you do have uh, Gideon, in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, in Judges chapter 6, he puts out a fleece before the Lord, and he says if it's wet in the morning, then we go one direction. If it's dry, Lord, we'll go a different direction. The problem with that whole thing, as you pointed out, is God had already told Gideon what to do, mm-hmm. and Gideon didn't like it. And so Gideon said, well, hey, let's talk about this.
0: <laughs> let's re- let's before, run this up the flagpole one more time.
1: Yeah, with God. You know, God's yeah, already told him, yeah. Gideon, this is what you're supposed to do, but you know, God, let's talk about this. If you it's really bad enough
0: when do you this, do that with your manager at work.
1: <laughs> Let alone the creator, right? Yeah. So that whole idea, it's amazing that putting a fleece out before God has become a thing over mm-hmm. many, many decades. You know, I don't know who was the first person to come up with the idea that this was a way to pursue the Christian life, but this was an act of disobedience. Mm-hmm. on the part of, of Gideon. And now here we are saying, here's an example in Scripture of how to know the will of God. In mm-hmm. this context of disobedience, I, I think not. It's it's not the way we're to ascertain the will of God.
0: Yeah. I, I make fun because I, I get the point of the story, but then I guess I need to be careful because I, it's not like I always trust and always, you know, sure. it's not like uh, sure. I don't uh, have those hesitancies, so um, so it's not feeling led, it's not mm-hmm. having this peace about a decision that you're making or trying to make. It's not putting out the fleece for sure after after we've lambasted that. Everybody knows that. Um, <laughs> so how do you go? What's the process? I mean, we've kind of talked about the general principles. Mm-hmm. How do you go about and discerning God's will?
1: Well, I've said over the years that there are four ways to pursue God's will. Three of them are wrong, and and one of them's right. So quickly, three wrong, but unfortunately, very common ways that people go about it. The first is uh, what I call outcome-based decision-making, outcome-based. Uh, a decision is right in this approach if it turns out right. And so you have to really take a lot of time to make sure that it's going to turn out right. And you turned over every possible rock and every possible issue. People who take this approach often engage in analysis paralysis, you know, where they're just having to analyze and they're, they're afraid to yeah. make a wrong move because the only move that's right is the one that turns out right. So it's outcome-based. A decision is right if it turns out right. But you know, if you think about it, you have stories in the Bible that make it very clear that just because the outcome does not tell you whether the initial decision was good or bad. Mm-hmm. because it can turn out right, uh, uh, but that doesn't mean that the original decision was right. Take for example, Joseph, you know, the story of Joseph. We know how that story turns out. It turns out uh, amazing and how God in his providence worked in Joseph's life to bring him to prominence in Egypt and a place of authority in Egypt many years after his brothers had sold him into slavery and had lied to their father and, uh, about what had happened to him and so on. And now they come many years later, they're back in contact with each other. And God uses that as a, a way to have uh, the, the Jews uh, in, uh, in Egypt uh, yeah. through, through Joseph and through his family. And he's going to use that as to show his mighty hand later and the exodus out of Egypt. You know, he's using it for that. But he also uses it just to show mercy, You know, show how believing people can show mercy to those who have done them wrong. So God uses it in a good way, an amazing way. But does that mean it was the right decision <laughs> to to sell Joseph into slavery? Can can Joseph's brothers now say, hey, look how it turned out. You know, let's let bygones be bygones. All's well that ends well. So mm-hmm. so this is this must have been the right decision. Of course it was the wrong decision. It was a sinful decision throughout, but God but God used it. So it can turn out right doesn't mean it was a good decision. It can turn out bad and that doesn't mean it was mm-hmm. a bad decision. Uh you know Jesus entire life is that way. I mean it turned out bad in one sense because you know he was he was crucified ultimately. But of course his, the, what does that mean? His coming to earth was a was a bad decision. You know it it turned because bad things happen don't mean that the the decision itself Paul he goes into cities sometimes warned not to go into cities and he goes and he is flogged and he's beaten and he's put in jail. Okay. It turned out difficult. It turned out negative, but still God's purpose is advancing. It doesn't mean that the original decision was wrong because it was made for God's mission and it was made for God's glory. So outcome-based, that is not the way to make decisions. Feeling-based, we talked about that. People make it based upon, I have a sort of spiritual oomph Whether they describe that as I have a peace about it or I felt led about it, it's based upon my feelings. I feel like this is what God wants me to do. And and God does not tell us to follow our feelings. He tells us to follow his word and then to put those principles into action. And then a third wrong way, I call it opportunity-based. And this is all often couched in the language of, God opened a door. There was a door opened for me.
0: And this is usually- When he closes a door, he opens a window.
1: <laughs> yeah, you 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 hear that, right? Or or if God closes one door, he's going to open another and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So it's it's all based on kind of divining the circumstances and is and is God making this pathway open? And if he's making this pathway open, then this must be what he wants to do, it, especially if it if the pathway, the door becomes open, becomes cleared in an unusual way. If that's the case, then Often people will interpret that as a God thing. This must be a God thing. And again, friends, that's not how God instructs us in His Word to determine whether this is what He wants us to do. So the right way to do it is what I call purpose based decision making purpose based. And that is to step back and say in God's Word, what is His purpose? What is His purpose for all of life? What is His purpose then for me? And then to fit myself into the narrative of what god is doing in his world and my decisions into advancing that mission so make my decisions based upon lord i am trying to advance your purpose in your world now what's his purpose in a nutshell it's to bring glory to himself and that applies to the big decisions and it applies to the small decisions we know first corinthians ten thirty one. you know that famous passage really summarizing it's a verse that summarizes three chapters eight nine and ten but the summary then is whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all to the glory of god eat drink whatever do it all to the glory of god so what that means is i make my decision about marrying someone Lord, this person can partner with me in this good thing that you've given called marriage because he or she is a godly man or woman and we are committed to you and your cause. And now we can become a team in order to bring glory to you and advance your mission. I make a decision like that. I want this job because this job is going to allow me to further that that mission. I wanna to go to this school because the school is gonna train me in order to be able to, to do that. I make my purchases big and small based upon whether or not they nourish me nourish my my body nourish my family help me to be better for the journey in carrying out the lord's mission and his purpose in in the world so it's taking what we know and then applying it and mm-hmm. that is called wisdom knowledge applied is wisdom this purpose based decision making then you really could summarize it as one author, one excellent author that I'll uh, that I'll recommend in a minute calls it the way of wisdom, purpose-based decision-making.
0: That's good. Um, you know, back when you're talking about the outcome-based, uh, the danger in that too is it's so difficult to evaluate, ultimately, to evaluate outcomes because, you yeah. know, all the things in our life are connected. And I, uh, I was going to ask you next, what, what are the big benefits yeah. of this last correct approach. And, uh, you know, I have an idea what you're going to say. I just would like to share by way of testimony, once you've had a chance to to kind of go over some of these, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. how I've seen that.
1: Excellent. Well, you know, ironically, one great benefit to this is that if you take this purpose-based approach, you, in fact, will have peace. <laughs> you will have peace of mm-hmm. mind. You're not going to yeah. have to fret because it's very freedom, freeing. You know, there's a freedom that's given when you don't have to fret about finding the dot and then regret whether or not I really found the dot. You know, you think you found the perfect spouse. But then you come to realize, you know, there is no such thing as a perfect spouse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I should have been single.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then you're married for a couple of years and five years and 10 years. And then you start to discover things about each other. And two people as sinners have come together. And many a person has done this now Mm -hmm. because they took the dot approach. Then they say, you know what? Maybe I married out of God's will. Mm -hmm. Maybe this was not God's perfect will for me because we're having a struggle. No, you're, you're having a struggle because you live in a fallen world. And there's not, uh, there are not two people in any relationship ever at any time, marriage or anything else, that haven't had times where there has been a struggle. But you won't have to fret like that, that you miss the dot. You're not gonna be petrified that you miss God's perfect will and then suffer the paralysis by analysis that I talked about. Mm-hmm. You just can't pull the trigger on a decision because you're afraid to, to get it wrong. Here's what you'll do. You'll trust God with your feeble attempts. Knowing that it will turn out bad sometimes, but you're okay with that. You don't want it to turn out bad, but you know, in a fallen world, you make the best decision you can. And then sometimes it's still not going to turn out right, but you're okay. You're secure. You're confident because God overrules our decisions and he uses all of them, good and bad to advance his purposes. So there's a beautiful confidence now Mm -hmm. and peace in Taking a purpose-based approach to our decisions
0: yeah, hardly uh, hearty amen to that. Um, you know I have, I have shared with uh, our young people at CBC over the years and with my own kids uh, that when you look at scripture and I, I look at my own life, I see this point out it doesn't it's not to say that somebody might not have a predictable life, but it's not uncommon for people's lives to take twists and turns that you could never predict. And they're comprised of a whole range of decisions that you make, some are good, some are bad. And as you pointed out, some of the good ones have difficult results. Some of the bad ones uh, might you know, make things a little easier for you. But as I look back on my life and the, the path that brought me to where I'm at right now, um, in hindsight, I can see many benefits to things the Lord allowed me to go to, sometimes because of poor decisions I made. Other times, you know, good decisions, but things didn't turn out how I wanted them to. And I look back now and I see how God used all of those circumstances, but that's in hindsight. And so doing what you're saying, purpose-based, knowing that, okay, my goal is to please the Lord. In this particular instance, uh, I need to think through my options, ask for wise counsel, consult God's word, and I do all of those things, and then I remember that I'm not omniscient, and God knows it, and he, he will lead me into His will. So then you get years down the road, and you faithfully try to pursue God, doing what you know is obedience to Him, and then making the best decisions you can uh, in, in all things. Uh, and you look back, and you, you see how God led you along the way, even using your mistakes you don't try to make them on purpose you try to obey and make the wisest decisions you can as you said but um, Mm -hmm. god is leading you through the path of his will and you can have that confidence like you said so this is this is a big topic Um, it can be a source of great uh, anxiety for people what are some resources people can look to for more information
1: Well, there's been a lot written over this big topic uh, over the years, and some of it has not been helpful. Some of it is very Mm -hmm. subjective, mystical, you know, uses sources outside of God's Word, Uh, so I don't recommend those. And so I'm just going to give you three uh, that I think are really helpful. I already mentioned one, that is the little book by John MacArthur, Found God's Will, Found God's Mm -hmm. Will, John MacArthur. But then really, I think the best book Uh, ever (laughs) on the subject other than the Bible (laughs) itself is, is a, now this one's a big one, but it's very easy to read. And I've had many, many testimonies of people over the years who have said, wow, that book was, in fact, we, we have a guy in that is associated with our church series of circumstances. Some of our viewers know, uh, wound up incarcerated and is going to be for about another uh, 10 years or so now. And, um, and, I speak with him every week, and one of the first books I recommended to him to read there was this book, Decision-Making and the Will of God, Decision-Making and the Will of God by Gary Friesen, F-R-E-I-S-S-E-N, F-R-E-I-S-S-E-N, Gary Friesen. He read that book, and he said that book was just life-changing. He said it was just amazing. He just can't say enough about it. So I recommend that book very, very highly, Decision-Making and the Will of God, by Friesen. and then there's another book, more recent but very good, called "Just Do Something," <laughs> and that one's by Kevin D. Young. Kevin D. Young, "Just Do Something," and the idea there—it's most—it's aimed at young people, but young people who are, you know, trying to figure it out, and they're uh, they're paralyzed by the analysis, and they're afraid to miss God's perfect will, and He's giving them the freedom in this book, uh, as we've tried to do here, to say, just make a choice for God, make a choice for God's glory, and then move ahead and don't look back and Mm. your gracious God will clear your path. And if you made it, if if it turns out to have some negative consequences to it, so be it. God will see you through those as well.
0: Yeah, I wonder if Kevin DeYoung owes royalties to Nike. That's really close. (laughs) (laughs) Just just do something. That's true. Pastor Kent, thanks as always for your wisdom on this topic. It's been uh, very helpful. This is such an important topic for people and one, like you said, uh, very often misunderstood. So I hope you at home watching found this helpful this week. Uh, Just a couple of reminders. If you don't already follow us on Facebook, uh, we publish these episodes as well as blog posts and other things on our Facebook profile. And then uh, you can find these also on YouTube. You can uh, subscribe to our channel there, hit that notification bell on our channel page, and you'll be notified whenever new episodes publish. Uh, You can also get this on Apple uh, Podcasts app. If you like podcasts, it's audio only. If you want to listen, if you have a commute, you can put them in that way. And and, uh, some of these longer topics you might even be able to get in one or two sittings. So uh, do, do check us out there. Uh, As well, I want to remind all of our uh, folks at CBC about the Church Center app. These podcast episodes, as well as our Sunday morning sermons, are available in the Church Center app now, along with a a new feature directory. So check that out if you haven't as well. Uh, I think that's all the commercials I have for today. (laughs) So thank you all for watching, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at or text it to us at 97000.